Last uh, uh, Thanksgiving, I had a chance to go and visit with some family, <clears throat> and uh, it's always good to catch up and to see how things are going uh, in Illinois with uh, people that are near and dear to our hearts, and a lot of times we just uh, kind of skim the surface and don't really get into all of the details of the nitty-gritty of life, and, and a couple of people that I enjoy spending a lot of time with um, are uh, my, my sister-in-law, uh, Mara, and her husband, Ted who usually, uh, I really don't have any choice anyway because that's where we end up staying. Uh, so, uh, but, but as a result of, um, of their hospitality, I've come to know them really well. And one of the things uh, that um, I've come to appreciate about my brother-in-law, Ted, is um, uh, he, uh, he likes motorcycles. Uh, he's a Christian. He's uh, actually the president of his local uh, Christian Motorcyclist Association um, uh, biker group, uh, and he tries to witness and share uh, the gospel as uh, every opportunity presents itself. And he's been a very blessed person in the course of his life. Um, he has a, a commercial heating and air business, and he's got a residential side to it. And everything uh, about his life um, is oriented towards uh, the, the purpose that God has for him. And the thing I, I really appreciate, appreciate about uh, my brother-in-law, Ted, is just his, his humility and, and really his selflessness. And uh, it, it just uh, drives uh, um, the, the point that I'm getting ready to make uh, home all that much more. As, I, as I've seen what he's done in, in his influence in sharing the gospel and going into prisons and things like that, um, I, I was shocked to uh, become aware of something that he didn't even share uh, with me whenever I was uh, visiting with him during Thanksgiving. And that was that he had had a, a, a stroke in his eye. And uh, that stroke actually was uh, clouding his ability to see. And he didn't even mention it in the course of uh, eating. It just happened a few days prior to our arrival. And uh, the, 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 uh, the, the interruption that it created for him, uh, I know, had to have been uh, pretty overwhelming because the prospect of, of losing out on a ministry that he had been uh, cultivating for a very long time and the opportunities that he had to share the gospel um, were, were in, in possibly in jeopardy. And, um, and yet, whenever I came there, he, we went out and we looked at his motorcycles and we talked about, you know, what he was doing. And, 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 and the interruption that it created for his life uh, didn't seem to really be the disruption that I thought it would be. Uh, and in hindsight, I, I realized that um, he's uh, carrying a lot of burdens on his shoulders uh, in, in Illinois, a lot of laws have changed that have actually made it difficult for him to do business on the commercial side. And as I got into conversations with him uh, about, about his work, it became obvious to me uh, that he was shouldering a, a lot of burdens in that moment. And then as I left and I became aware of the health issue, uh, my heart just really sank as it went out for him. But the one thing that I have seen at work in his life is that he's always been able to take whatever he's going through and turn it around and find a purpose or a repurpose in the Lord. And he carries that hope with him in such a way 
that, that I just marvel at it. And I, I've, I've grown to not only admire but deeply respect uh, my brother-in-law, Ted. And as I've looked at his life unfold, uh, knowing him for uh, well over 20, 25 years, um, I, I've just seen him grow in that understanding uh, as, a, as a mature believer. He's about 10 years older than I am, so he's been tracking a little bit farther ahead of me. And what I realize in looking at his example and the burdens that he has and the things that have come at him sideways in life is that the presence of Christ has enabled him to do those things that he can do. And if he's not able to do that, God has found another way for him to find purpose here on earth. And it is his story that I think makes the backstory to that story so much richer. And it, it, for, for today's purposes, part of the backstory begins with uh, 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 an episode that occurs in uh, in, the, in, in the wake of a lot of other episodes that happened prior to this particular one. And it is, the, it is the scene that we have six miles outside of the city of Jerusalem, where uh, in a little podunk town called Bethlehem, there are some angels that appear to shepherds who are in a field, and they make a declar- declaration that everything that God has been working up to uh, um, has finally culminated in this moment. And you, shepherds of all people, are going to be the dignitaries uh, that are invited to witness uh, this spectacular event. And we pick up in in, uh, Luke chapter 2, beginning with verse 8, what what that surprise and that interruption was all about. And in, in, in it we read, And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you, and you will, be, you will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on the earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away, I forgot, I'm right here in front of the thing, went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in the manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds had told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart, and the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. And I think unless you really know what God's up to in this scene um, and has been up to for a very long time, you can't really appreciate the full significance 
And if you know the story, you can appreciate how in this moment, the shepherds of all people were perhaps the most blessed uh, to become aware of something that had never occurred before. And the, the rippling effect of the birth of this son continues out into the 21st century, into this room, into our community, ripples out throughout the whole world. And it's the realization of something that I think a lot of us from time to time uh, think about pretty hard, and that is the presence of God. And where is the presence of God in my life? Where is the presence of God in this world? And at times, because of the confusion, because of the chaos, because of all of the problems that we face, because of evil, because of death, we wonder, God, where are you? And God has heard that appeal, and he's responded. Now, a lot of us, I think, feel like God can be at a distance, and, and, and really we wonder if he's, if he's even there at all. And that feeling that we have doesn't necessarily reflect the reality of God's presence, which um, may in fact be closer than you think. God has always wanted to come close to you and I. It's been his heartfelt desire. When he made us, he said it was very good. And when we hear the story about Adam and Eve, we recognize that um, the, the, the beauty of the complementary, complementary nature of male and female and the ability to procreate and to just do the things that God did, make something out of, out of seemingly nothing. And God looks at all that and he just marvels in it. But where it breaks down is when the two in the garden turn away from God and God doesn't want to withdraw, but he has to because they carry on in such a way that they break the relationship. And pretty soon, they're anxious, they're afraid, they're alone, and they recognize the thing that they took for granted the whole time, God with them in the garden, is something that they'll no longer be able to enjoy. And I, I, I can appreciate the emptiness a little bit. I, I, I often thought when kids start going to, to, to college that, you know, it'll free up time and, and it'll be uh, uh, a, 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 the, the, the depletion of resources won't be what it was, the, the meaning that the freezer will once again be full and the grocery bill won't be as astronomical. And, and you think about, you know, the upside of that and they'll go off and they'll do their thing. But when they're gone... It's like, oh, wow, there's a void. And last weekend, our youngest, he went off to, this weekend, Friday, he went off to Pittsburgh for a, a debate event. And uh, it was just my, my wife and I, which we enjoy the presence of one another. But the emptiness of not having them there was something that we never imagined uh, when all three of them are gone. Uh, how, how that void uh, becomes... Um, so, um, uh, so, so clear in your mind when otherwise uh, we just took their presence for granted. And if you've ever been there, you know the experience of, of, of someone who was there and then the disruption happens and then they're gone. You know the emptiness and you know that longing that you have to be reconnected with those people that you love and how acute that pain really is. And 
for the better part of the story as it unfolded in the Old Testament, that pain was there. That longing for God was there. And God recognized it and he wanted to come close, but he knew that like any relationship, it had to have, well, it had to, there had to be an understanding. There had to be an agreement for it to work. And God put in motion the measures necessary to recultivate the relationship once again, where he could come close and we could experience his presence. And we could do so in a way where we understood the rules and responsibilities and the boundaries of the relationship. You know, my, one of my kids one time uh, came up to me and, and, and said that there was... Um, some concern that they had about uh, another friend who was thinking about being sexually promiscuous. And there was an opportunity for them to do exactly that. And, 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 and it was concerning on a level that had never really crossed their mind before. And I said, the, the, the difficulty with engaging in that kind of behavior oftentimes isn't recognized or realized until after the behavior occurs. Whenever you give yourself to someone and you, 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 you connect with them, it creates something. It creates a bond that in some ways uh, never really quite goes away. And if you do so outside of a covenant of marriage where the the, the, the terms are agreed upon on how you relate to one another. If you do that, then there's always ambiguity between you and the person that you've slept with. And your emotions begin to go in all of these different anxious directions. And pretty soon, one person is looking at the relationship in a way that is different than the way that the other person is looking at the relationship. And so all of a sudden, what was maybe a very pleasurable experience becomes an emotional roller coaster because there was no agreement on what the nature of the relationship would be between the two parties. In this particular case, a girlfriend was on the rebound from a person that she had connected with sexually who just basically said, I'm not interested anymore. And in the case of the young man, this was just something that hormones were telling him he needed to do. And I, and I, and I told my kid, I said, you know, as this unfolds, you're going to see some interesting behavior. You're going to see two people realizing that they had a, a pleasurable experience, but emotionally just all over the map. Because the relationship could never work in a way that would be meaningful whenever it's not agreed upon regarding how the relationship is supposed to play out. And as my, my, my child was sort of scratching their head on that, I said, any relationship that's worthwhile requires um, an understanding, a mutual understanding of where each other are coming from, and agreement to work together on the relationship. And in microcosm, that essentially is what God has been trying to do with you and I. 
But in so many ways, we've been unfaithful, and the relationship hasn't worked, and God hasn't been able to come close. God's always wanted to come close, and you may be saying, I'm not so sure. And if that's the case, let's just back up a little bit. In the Old Testament, God had shown himself to a few people, and one of them uh, happened to be Moses. And Moses had his life dramatically interrupted whenever he was out shepherding sheep, like the ones you see on the screen behind me. And as he was doing that, he looked over and he saw a bush that was on fire, but it wasn't being consumed. And it was such an unusual spectacle that it intrigued him. And he drew close and he realized that was God. And God was saying, take your shoes off because you are standing on holy ground. And that's the only way this relationship will ever work is if you, if you, if you honor me and respect me. And Moses took his shoes off and, and, and you saw the hum, humility of Moses in that setting. But what God was trying to do was set things up so that he could continue to expand on that initial connection that he made. And what he told Moses was, I'm going to use you to draw a whole mass of people into a relationship with me. And Moses like, this is too much. I'm too overwhelmed. There's no way that I can possibly do this. But God said, no, I'm calling you to do this because it is that important to me. And as this unfolds, you'll see just how serious I am about coming close to people who otherwise have chosen to be far away. Well, the story unfolds. The people are in Egypt that God is talking about. He goes through a dramatic series of events that, that, that causes them to be released from the captivity of a, an oppressive ruler who basically uh, dehumanized them in every way. And as they were released and drawn into uh, a new environment with a new agreement, a new covenant, God began to show himself. And the scripture tells us that He showed himself just like he did to Moses in the form of fire and a pillar of cloud. And those two representations of God's presence was um, God's way of saying, this is how I'm beginning to come close. And the people were, they, they were at first very excited about it. And when they saw God come close, they wanted to come close. And there was sort of a, kind of a dance going on here where the two parties were beginning to connect. And God said, whenever you, you see me in the form of a pillar of cloud, that's when you follow me and where I go, you'll go along with me. And they said, we're there with you, God. Thank you for showing up. Thank you for being a presence in our lives. And when you see that pillar of fire by night, when I go, that's where you go as well. And God said, I want to I take this relationship and I want to make it even more concrete by, uh, by, by, by having you um, construct a tabernacle. And this tabernacle will be a portable tent that will be the place where my presence, my, the manifestation of my presence will abide specifically. And when you go into that tent to worship, you'll be able to see my presence there through the pillar of fire and the pillar of cloud over that tent. And God is just trying his best in a very meaningful and powerful way to show that he is worthy of respect and honor, but he's also desirous of 
engaging with those that are far away. And the tension of God being worthy of respect, God being holy and, and awesome, but yet God also being loving and kind has to be um, basically um, integrated into their minds so that when they approach God, they know that he, it's a serious thing, but he's also a loving presence. And as you look at the tabernacle and you see the pillar of fire, God said, whenever I get ready to go, you'll see the pillar of fire or the pillar of cloud begin to move. And that's when you pack up the tent and you move along with me. And if you've ever read the story about the, um, the, the building of the tabernacle, it's, it's pretty elaborate. It's probably a forewarning to people like myself and yourself. If you've ever been tent camping, and in my case, I bought a pop-up camper. And if you've ever done that, you know that it requires a lot of work. We would go to a campground. We would unfold all of the... All of the all the camping accoutrements that were jammed into the pop up, and um, we would settle uh, the place that would be our camp. And generally, it would go something like this: my wife would be the director, and I would be the person in charge of the execution of the processes. If you know what I mean. And it would take about half a day to just get everything ready to her satisfaction. And then when it was time to pack up, it was about another half a day. So this is a pretty long, convoluted process. And for me, it's one reason why you don't see a pop-up tent at, uh, at my house. There's no camper there like that. That's why I like hiking with uh, Heath. It's pretty simple. It's all in your backpack. Good to go. I can pack my backpack in five minutes, and, uh, and we're off. Now, you don't have all of the niceties, but hey, it's pretty simple. And God said, right now, it's kind of complicated with this tent and me being present in this way. But I, 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 I want to make this more personal. And God, through time, led these people into a land that was promised to them. And that land was a land flowing with milk and honey. It was a land of great and rich blessing. And we fast forward a little bit through the story. God settles the people in this land. And there is a king, King David, who's responsible for overseeing the governing of, uh, of, of this people. So that the way he governed as a person who had a heart after the very heart of God. The way he governed was supposed to be reflective of all the characteristics that were necessary to make up a healthy relationship between God and his people. And when David looked out and he saw that everyone was settled into their homes and everything was functioning right and the infrastructure was sort of built up except for one thing, God didn't have a place to dwell. And his vision was a six-acre tract of land that would be preeminent within uh, the proximity of all the people living in that in that city. And this vision unfortunately did not come to life until David had actually passed away. And when he did, his son took up the charge to make this stationary, beautiful temple complex. Where the presence of God would come and dwell inside the holiest part of that complex. And his presence in a sense would be central 
to the, the people that surrounded the temple in their homes, in their communities, uh, as the as as circumference of them went around the centrality of God in their lives. And God had come close. And it was dramatic when the temple was filled with his presence. There's a, a vision of that. But a funny thing happened whenever everything became routine and business as usual. It was almost like, yeah, we know where God is at. He's in the temple. And we know that if we need to go worship and connect with him, he'll be there. But unfortunately, time and, 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 and basically just uh, events coming and going evolved into a sense that, well, God's in the temple and we need to behave there a certain way. But when we go outside of the temple and go into our own places, God's not there and so we can do whatever we want. And it basically, as God is looking at the arrangement, he realizes there are limitations to the design that has been created. And as the people began to drift away from the reality of the presence of God in their daily life, like they experienced in the Exodus with the pillar of cloud and of fire and of the tabernacle that's portable. Strange ideas began to take hold. God was pushed further and further out of their lives by lesser interest. And eventually, an invading nation, one we talked about on the series in Daniel, came and displaced them brought them to Babylon. And it was only then that the absence of the relationship that they once enjoyed began to show itself in the void that remained. That sense of you never know what you got until it's gone. The only reason I can even say that phrase is I was dining with my family one time and had this big steak, and I could only eat half of it. And I said, I'll, I'll get the rest in a to-go box. And the, the waitress came and put the steak in there, and I was really anticipating uh, enjoying that later on. And, well, we were talking, got the check, uh, paid it, got up and left, and drove about half a mile away from the establishment. And I'm like, did anybody get my steak? And they're like, well, it's your steak. You should have picked it up. <laughs> and then there was this song that my kids used to listen to. And it goes something like this. You never know what you got till it's gone. And they started singing it over and over and over. And it just traumatized me so much where I still remember that moment. And as insignificant as that is, by comparison, things that we take for granted, when they disappear, we realize that their absence is profound. And maybe God hasn't been close to you in a way that you would like. And maybe you think you're not good enough. And maybe you think 
the sins that you have in your life are keeping you at a distance. But perhaps you're thinking, I'm here, and the reason I'm here is because I do want to be close to God, despite all of those things. And I want to give you a little word of encouragement. God is not far. As the story unfolded, the scripture says that the people would lament along the banks of the river in Babylon the glory days when their city was great and the temple was there and God was there and God was in their presence and they longed for a time when that could be recovered. And then you fast forward several hundred years later, God says, now I'm really going to come close. I'm going to be so close that they won't even believe it. Then the angel appeared to Mary and said, you're going to have a son. And your son is going to rule over all of the rulers that you can name, including Caesar Augustus, including Quirinius, including everyone that comes to mind as you think about powerful people. Your child is going to rule over them because your child is going to be conceived by the Holy Spirit. Your child is going to be me, God, present with you in this form. And when God came close in that way, it was his way of telling us once and for all, I want more than anything to be in a relationship with you. I want more than anything to be close to you. And the scandal of her pregnancy, which we covered last week, underscores the depth that God goes through of humiliation in order to show that there is not a person on the planet that that is exempt from my love. And when it was announced that the child was born, who did God go to? Not the upper echelon crowd, but rather just lowly shepherds. Because he wanted to make a declaration that I am here once and for all for everyone, everyone, including shepherds who are my distinguished guests upon my arrival, who were given a, a really an exclusive invitation to be part of this. And God of all people chose shepherds to represent, really, us. The type of people, just everyday people, that he wants to come close to. As the story is told about the shepherds, there's a recognition that had just been made by an angel to Joseph that the son that you will have will not be your son, but it'll be conceived by the Holy Spirit. And when he comes, you're to give him the name Jesus because the prophet back in the day understood that when, it, when this day came, that it would represent one who would be called Emmanuel. His representation here on earth as a wonderful counselor, mighty God, prince of peace, everlasting father, is really just another way of saying God is with us.
And as God underscored that to Joseph, and it sunk into Mary, and the shepherds of all people became aware that this was the most dramatic event of God coming close since the garden itself, they couldn't help but in their exuberance and joy to just go and shout it from the housetops that God has come close. And he's come close through this one who is Jesus. And when Jesus came and he spent time here on earth, it wasn't in a very well-to-do environment, but rather it was just a, a tradesman, a carpenter. And as his life unfolded and he did acts of compassion, it was a demonstration that as the power of God flows through him to engage other people, he sees our brokenness. He sees our loneliness. He sees our pain. And he doesn't condemn us in that place. Matter of fact, the only people that he condemns are the religious people who have actually done a pretty good job of shutting God out. But rather, as he comes close, and he heals, and he calls, and he mends, and he brings good news, it's God's way of just showing his heart to you and I. That God does want to interrupt our lives with the reality of his presence. The question is, do we have eyes to see what's in front of us? My dog, Nigel, I would, I, I would give him a, uh, like a, 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 a scrap of food. And I would throw it on the floor, and he would, and, and then and he would look at me, and I'd point at it, and I'd say over there, and then he'd look at my finger. And I'm like, don't look at my finger, because my finger is not what I'm trying to draw attention to. But I'm using my finger, I'm trying to explain this to a dog, and people are like, don't bother. So, but the interesting thing is, I, I finally was able to help him differentiate between where my finger points and my finger. And after a while, believe it or not, we start, he started to look at my finger and where it was pointed, and then he would look in that direction. And I'm like, oh, we've had a breakthrough with you. I thought you were unteachable. But it appears with lots and lots of repetition, you get the point. And as we look at the shepherds and we see this event, and we can get caught up in all of the trappings of Christmas, the reality is these are just fingers pointing to something greater, a greater backstory of how much God wants to be in your life and mine. As I end this message, I, I just want you to know that we come close to him by saying, yeah, Lord, I've been distracted by a lot of other things. But in this moment in time, I realize just how much you want to come close. And in response to that, I want to come close too. And I want to begin to build a relationship with you like we've never had before. And if God is working in your heart in that manner today, I'm here and several other people are here to help you understand how that relationship works, how blessed it is, and how it can give you strength and give you purpose 
as you live in his presence.